Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016. And we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. Today, we sit down with Dane Laughlin. Dane is the Operations Transformation Product Leader at Invista. Invista is a subsidiary of Coke Industries. Dane's primary role is focused on immersive and emergent technologies. And Dane has been in this space for several years, helping deploy AR and VR. Uh, to me, one of the most interesting parts of today's episode is that you've got a, a well-established company like Coke who's taking the long view on XR and seeing pretty demonstrable results. Let's jump in. Dane, so, so something that's always interesting to our listeners is understanding uh, what, a company's, what, what initially attracted a company to XR and kind of what that process was like. And I know you've been invested for about six years, which is part of the overall Coke brand or Coke group of companies. So we'd love to hear what that process was like and maybe what was the initial, what initially got your company excited about XR? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're, we run into this, many of the same challenges that anybody in our industry runs into, which is, you know, high turnover, um, you know, people who maybe not, they don't have manufacturing skills or haven't worked in manufacturing before. And so we need to kind of upskill them into a, a new skill set that they haven't ever worked with in the past. And so um, our, our journey kind of started with like, hey, uh, we recognize that we want to reduce the amount of time that it takes to bring people to proficiency uh, with this space. And so um, we started experimenting with like, you know, can we build mobile apps? So actually one of the first uh, applications that we ever built is a game that to this day is on the the app store. If you want to go and download it, it's called Electrical Protector, I think. Um, and, you know, the whole intention was, you know, how do you drive uh, people to be more engaged with the content than they traditionally would be. Um, and then, you know, around the same time that we started to look at the XR space, some better he uh, headsets started coming out like the Valve Index and the Vive. And uh, I tried one of them at a trade show and I was like, man, this is crazy. You know, like you really feel like you're there. And so um, after that experience, we kind of took it back to the drawing board with some of our training folks and said, hey, like, what if we reimagine this whole training process as, you know, something that you don't have to physically walk out, you know, on the floor and work with people. It's something that like we can have a VR training room and you can train, you know, 20 people at a time kind of thing. So that was kind of the genesis was, I think it was a, a nice combination of, you know, timing on hardware uh, and then also uh, just kind of happy coincidence with a good use case to start. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the timing, 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 timing is so important. Was there was there were they just open to the idea? Was there resistance? What was how how were those initial conversations? Yeah, you know, so it's funny. Uh, I think back or think back to this and laugh sometimes. Uh, we started by thinking about XR as okay. We're just going to take the exact work process that we use on a daily basis, and we're just going to cut, copy, and paste the new, the VR training into the traditional work process. And I think what we learned in doing that is that you can't really effectively do it, or you don't get all the value if you don't reimagine what the entire work process looks like. 
And so the, the funny you know, example that I always give is one of the trainings that we have, there's a, a physical you know, object that you hold and it's like the length of a broomstick has a vacuum and you know, you're sucking nylon string into it and wrapping it around uh, various you know, spindles and things like that. When we first thought about it, you know, the traditional way of training was you have two people who train together and uh, you know, we were like, oh, we need to make a physical thing that people hold while they're going through VR training so that they can kind of get a feel for you know, what it feels like to work with a prop. And then we realized you know, in practice what that looks like is you have two people that are in a room effectively blindfolded by a headset you know, swinging this prop around. And it's like we don't want lightsaber battles in the training room like we want to be effective, right? And so... Um, I think that's a key thing for anybody who's looking to get into the space. You don't think about it as like, okay, this is our work process and we're going to force XR into this work process. It's, you know, let's reimagine what the entire work process looks like for training people and then, you know, implement XR so that it complements that new strategy. Yeah, that's a great perspective. That's, that's really good insight. And what, what has been your specific role in that process? Yeah, so my my role has largely been, you know, kind of uh, knowing the technology one, so understanding like what headset applies well in what situation and how do we collect the data and store it and all that fun stuff, but also kind of trying to get a feel for what is the day in the life of the trainee who's going through a lot of these things. Uh, And then the other thing I would recommend to anybody who's getting into the space is like make really good friends with the people who you're going to be deploying the training to. Um, because ultimately they're going to give you the most honest feedback and it's going to be the most helpful feedback because it's, it's them living that day to day. And then you can implement that and it makes for a much better product product than, you know, to just kind of, you know, top down say like, Oh, you know, this is what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, uh, my role is more of like kind of shepherding it than it is, you know, putting headsets on people. Uh, although I've put a lot of people in headsets as well. Um, a lot of it's more kind of like, how do we think strategically about, you know, that work process and all the things we talked about before. As an XR champion in your organization, could you talk a little bit about some of the obstacles you've had to overcome to help move your organization towards XR? Yeah, I mean, in in the product that you guys have is is a big help in many of those <laughs> arenas, right? Like, Managing devices at scale is is a tough thing. I mean, it still is a tough thing. I'm not acting like that's a, a problem that's that's already solved, right? And you know, your guys' team does a great job of helping us get to kind of the next you know, step in that. But there's so many things about like what Wi-Fi network do you connect to? Like, you know, are you dealing with GDPR in Europe? And so you have to make sure that people are, you know, like you have the right information that's being stored. Uh, how do you manage intellectual property that goes into the actual VR trainings? So there's, you know, thoughts around um, how do you obfuscate things or can you run it in the cloud? You know, all these different aspects. And so when I think about XR, a lot of people think like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go buy a headset and, you know, take it out in the field and put it on people and it's going to be great. And I think there's a lot more that goes into the strategy of thinking about, you know, do you have the Wi-Fi networks to support it? How do you manage the headsets from afar? How do you get content instead of like, are you building it internally? Or are you buying it from somebody? Um, you know, how do you get people to adopt it once it's actually there? So again, back to the work stream thing, like how do you integrate it into their daily lives so that it's something that they just pick up and use as opposed to like, I have to think about, you know, Dane told me about this VR thing and now I have to go and do it. Um, so I think 
you know, it's kind of a, like a cascading process of making sure that you have the correct stack of technologies to support stack of technologies and also kind of um, workflow, you know, to support the deployment of XR in a business. Totally agree. It feels that friction, the friction to adopt this new technology is still kind of high, surprisingly, even though we're, we're years and years in. I'm curious, one particular point of friction we hear often is just the approach to content. Who do you get it from, um, internal, external? How, how have you approached that problem? Yeah, so kind of depends on what the content is. If it's something, so like the VR training I was talking about for operations, uh, that's something we had to custom build because you know we're the only ones that use the machinery or the equipment that we're training on. And so in that case, you have to go work with developers or have an internal development group that builds a lot of this training. Um, but there's also some great, you know, partners that we have in the space. Like we work with Immerse. They have a marketplace that you can go buy, you know, VR training and deploy it. And so we try and think about this as like, we call it inch deep and mile wide um, or inch wide and a mile deep. And, you know, the inch deep mile wide theory is like fire extinguisher training where everybody needs it. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily super valuable on like a person by person, you know, set. And then we have the inch wide mile deep, which is a very niche specific application, but has a really high value. And so we try and kind of group things into those, those two groups to understand like, okay, you know, inch deep mile wide is probably best served by us going and purchasing it from a partner. Whereas inch wide mile deep is something that we need to focus internally on, you know, how do we build something really valuable for this specific thing? I think I'd love to hear personally, how you're using XR in your organization. And there's probably a lot you could answer there, but is there one specific use case that you get excited about personally? Um, yeah. So the, the whole concept of multiplayer is really interesting to me. And, you know, everybody throws around the world, the, the word uh, metaverse right now, right? Like meta's changed their name and, you know, what is the metaverse? <laughs> there's a lot of these discussions going on. Chief metaverse I think, officer. Chief metaverse officer. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of, of that going on. And I think, you know, for me, I, I try and think broadly about the metaverse as like an immersive internet type of thing. If you just boil it down really, um, you know, simple in a simplistic manner, which is what I need for my own you know, brain. Um, and, you know, the multiplayer thing's exciting for me because there's many companies or there are many companies that run the same equipment or the same process in a lot of different locations all over the world. And you have subject matter experts, and I, I call it like stranded talent, right? You have people who are in locations that can't get to other locations that they're needed. And so this whole multiplayer concept is really exciting to me because you, know, you can plug people in who are subject matter experts from wherever into the places that they need to be without ever setting foot on a plane or you know, missing dinner with their family. Um, and so that's, that's an incredibly exciting thing to me from like a VR, you know, side of the house from an AR perspective, um, you know, Pokemon go, I, I, like, I love the, the whole po Pokemon go concept and that that kind of got people familiar. You know, that's, that's always the analogy that I use when people ask me about AR is I was like, you know, you ever play Pokemon go most of the time people at least know what it is. Um, using augmented reality, either phone based or, you know, uh, headset based is really exciting to me too, because I think, you know, you can effectively provide, you know, Google maps types experience without having it be, 
managed by an external party like Google. And so um, AR from that perspective is really exciting to me as well. That's, that's cool. And for us, you know, we think about, you know, the potential for XR to just further distract us and, you know, some of the negative, let's live in the metaverse. Uh, I think that's a concern for a lot of people. And so we really try to approach it. It sounds like similar to the way you're approaching it is that, that XR is a tool. It's something that we use. It doesn't use us. Uh, it's something that gives us our time back. Uh, so, I mean, that's a great example of, you know, getting access to experts in, in a much more efficient way. I'd also be curious, I mean, other areas where you've seen uh, impact um, in any stats that you're able to share would be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, so one of the more dramatic examples that we have of uh, impact that VR, VR in particular can have in a business is, you know, like I said, I talked about the manufacturing training, you know, reduction of time to proficiency in manufacturing training by, you know, 50 to 70%. Like that's, that's a tangible difference for a business, right? So when you're taking, you know, six months to be able to train somebody, and then you can turn that into several weeks, like that's a, that's a tangible, you know, operational difference for um, businesses. And so that's, that's an incredibly exciting, you know, uh, upskilling opportunity for a lot of people. I also think that just in general, um, you know, we're talking about operations, obviously, because that's my background, but uh, I took, I don't, I, like I took organic chemistry in college. And I just remember thinking about like, we're, we're doing all these like chemical, you know, equations and stuff. And they're talking about like, well, just imagine that this electron floats from here to there. And I'm like, I can't, you know, I'm a very visual person. And so I think this has the ability to also transform the way that like kids learn, you know, things, you know, you can imagine, you know, go walking through a museum and having George Washington talk to you about crossing the Delaware, as opposed to reading a book about it. Like that's a much more impactful experience. And so I think that the the overall opportunity, and I don't mean to be too hyperbolic, you know, talking about this stuff, but I think the overall learning opportunity for, you know, human beings and, and making learning a more human, you know, centered kind of capacity, uh, there's huge opportunities in, the, in that space. And that's, I'm some, that's something that's so exciting to me because um, ultimately that's what drives a lot of the innovation that we see as well as how fast people can learn and pick things up and make connections and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I, speak, I could not speak in Brad's more. language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, and I, I took organic chem as well. And I think yep. I did too. And it was horrible. I thought I was going to be pre-dental <laughs> for a while. And I yep. think that was the class that I'm like, I can't, I not can't do it. <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think well, I still have nightmares. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, kudos to the people who, who, you know, that's like a, a natural thing for them is understanding yeah. things, you know, that they can imagine that, like, I mean, you pick up a few more IQ points before I'm that guy. But I mean, like, I, I think, you know, from a, just an educational perspective, I just think about like, man, maybe I would have liked Okim, <laughs> you know, if I would have gone through and, and actually could see what they were talking about. And, you know, um, I, th I think there's a lot of places where, you know, I was thinking about like, you know, mechanics, for instance, like how many people are there that are looking to get upskilled? You know, so again, slight tangent, but like you can imagine, um, like there's all these uh, re-education programs like in prisons and, you know, stuff like that. Like you could put somebody in an Oculus and teach them to be a mechanic without giving them any tools, right? And 
and you could upskill somebody before they even get out. Like that's a net, that's a huge net benefit for, you know, society as a whole. And um, I think, I think just it has such broad applications in the way that in, like people interact with each other as well as interact with, you know, learning different types and, and modalities of information. Yeah. To me, I, I say this every episode, so people might get tired of hearing it, but it feels like we're in a learning revolution. And I just, mm -hmm. every, every episode that goes by, I just think that's more and more accurate because we're seeing these incredible, incredible results in the enterprise space. But like you're saying, it's, it's, it's not limited to, to those applications. It is learning in general. And it's, it's not even this, we talk, we talk about the, you know, in, in, in decreasing the time it takes to learn a new, new skill or new task, but also, I mean, in your prison example, it's also access, right? It's, it's being yeah. able to learn on demand. You don't have to have mm -hmm. an instructor on site. You don't have to go to, to the uh, flight simulator or whatever it may be in, in these different industries. And so, okay, we, we kind of blew, blew past that a little bit, but you said that you're reducing <laughs> training time by 50 to, to 70%. And mm -hmm. that's, that is significant. And so it, it seems like we're hearing more and more of those types of, of numbers coming out of, of larger companies and companies like yours who have been very thoughtful about XR for a long time that, that aren't just saying, hey, this is the new hot thing. It's no, we, we've been thinking about this. We've been going deep with it. And now we're seeing really significant results. So with that type of a positive, um, the positive results and, and overall, I guess, just excitement, I mean, what challenges are you still facing uh, internally and, and scaling or, or moving to other use cases, et cetera? Yeah. So, I mean, like, like I said, the, the management of the devices is a big one, right? It's, you know, how do you push content to, to people? How do you manage firmware updates? Um, can you put it into kiosk mode so that people aren't playing Beat Saber instead of doing fire extinguisher training, right? Like all of those are, are big challenges. And, and again, hats off to you guys for helping to manage, you know, some of that. Um, I think content generation is still a challenge. Like we're, you know, I talked a little bit about like the marketplaces popping up, which are all very beneficial. Um, but I think getting 3D content is still a like a niche skill set. And what I mean by that is if I want to go build a, you know, pump training on how to work with a pump, I first have to have a model of that pump. And in most industrial use cases, there's you know, there's not a good place to get that model of the pump with the internals. You might have some kind of like generic one that was created because, you know, when they were setting up the plant, you know, they needed to put something in there, but it's not going to be specific and it's not going to have the rust on it that you see in like a normal pump scenario. And it's not going to have all these other things. And so um, for me, I'm really excited about, you know, the emergence of like Nerf, you know, technologies and like the, you know, Matterport 3D scanning LIDAR, you know, all these kind of suite of technologies that take physical things and make them digital, I think is a really important part of this entire ecosystem that's still you know, in development. And there's a lot of people working on it. So it's, it's really exciting for me too. Uh, but I would say that kind of the key challenges right now are, you know, headset management and then how do you get actual 3d content. And for us, you know, like we have an internal team that works on developing a lot of this stuff. So we kind of address some of the challenges around like, well, you know, if we need to make changes, how do we make changes? And now it's like we call our, our Unity developer and they make changes for us. However, like in the past, before we kind of had a, a mature team set up to do this, um, there was a lot of like, 
who's the partner that we can partner with and make sure that the content's good. And um, as things change over time, how do we update those models or how do we update the workflow that people are using? Um, so those are, those are all, I would say kind of the, maybe the three core challenges is like keeping content up to date, actually getting the, the 3d content you're ready for use in you know, VR, for instance, um, and then managing the devices kind of broadly over an enterprise. So when we look at kind of our spread of customers, um, we get to visit with people at different stages of the journey. Some are building a proof of concept, some are at full scale. It seems like there's an interesting transition point when people go from the proof of concept to some kind of real world deployment at some kind of scale. And I'm curious mm -hmm. if you could speak to any anything that surprised you about unique challenges or things that you you wish you had thought about earlier when it came to that transition point to go from POC to actual real world deployment? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. So I would say we underestimated the value of managing something remotely, um, you know, to start like the, the general proof of concept phase is like, okay, you know, quick and dirty, like let's figure out how to do this as cheap as we can and understand if, if we can achieve the end goal by doing, you know, this uh, very, you know, quick uh, test. And then you get into a place where it's like, okay, so now that we know that the, the hypothesis is correct, uh, what's what's the next step in deploying this thing? And generally it's, uh, okay, I don't need to fly to South Carolina every week when, you know, a headset update happens and all of a sudden you, know, you can't, uh, you can't update your training or something like that. So that, that's like a key you know, piece for us is kind of understanding what that, that looks like. I think the other thing that a lot of people, this is more kind of like in the weeds than um, maybe some would like to hear, but like, how do you authenticate who people are in a headset? And so like understanding, you know, who the person is, what they're doing, how do you move that data to a secure location? And then, you know, the end is like, now that we have the data, how do you drive analytics that actually change the work process? Um, I don't think that we, when we first started, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to deploy it in this one location. And then as you start to scale, it's like, oh man, you know, this is a whole different animal trying to segment things out and kind of understand who's using it, who's not all that stuff. And so if, if there's somebody who like, you know, if I were to give advice to somebody and say, Hey, you know, you're starting this XR uh, scaling, you know, project, you know, have a really good strategy about what you're doing with your data and how you're going to manage the devices when, you know, something inevitably doesn't work. Um, because those two things will suck all your time up uh, in a, in a scaling you know, process if you don't have them really nailed down. Understanding who, who's in the headset seems to be a hot topic right now. It's interesting that you mention it. I think mm -hmm. it particularly becomes important when you shift from that you know, you're in the lab with 10 headsets to now we've got, we're using it every day in the field and we need mm -hmm. to be running people through training simulations. W what are some of the things that you considered as you were looking at that? Um, and any, you know, there's even if you can speak to a little bit talking about connecting it into your existing learning management system, um, how, how far are we from being able to have a truly integrated solution uh, with all those pieces put together? Yeah, so a lot of this also, in the hard thing about giving kind of prescriptive advice a lot of times is that the data piece depends on what systems are currently used, right? So that was one of the things that we had to go through and kind of audit for ourselves was, 
hey, do we like use uh, what what LMS system do we even use, and does it have like an X API you know endpoint that we can hit in order to be able to you know give us more information? And so um, for us, we started with uh, using kind of X API statements. So this person at this time was doing this. Um, and, and then we kind of expanded to, okay, now that we have that in a central location, how do you change those so that it can be truly embedded in what like a traditional LMS system can understand? Um, and so there was, that was a whole framework that we had to build out around. And actually, uh, we, ours doesn't directly integrate with an LMS system. We have an abstracted data layer that it goes to first and then, you know, it goes to the LMS for like the analytics piece. And so that was a hard lesson for us was like, you don't want to like hardline into your LMS because most LMS systems are not designed to be hardlined into from a VR headset. Um, and so we, we kind of had to create like a, you know, a data intelligence layer first that then, you know, talks to your LMS system um, in order to kind of have all the data that we wanted, but also send the insights and automate a lot of the like sign off and things like that. I think it's been, we, we think a lot about managing the learner journey. That's kind of how we look at it from our perspective. And to me, it's very, very encouraging that that is now a topic of discussion with a lot of the bigger companies, that the whole ecosystem has evolved to the point where of course, hardware is important and these are, and content's important, but we've gotten to a point now where it's matured enough that we can really think about how do we manage the learner journey at scale, which goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, just the the, the value of XR and learning. Uh, and so that's something we definitely put a lot of emphasis on. Um, I have one, one more question and then we'll end with a, a little hot take, but I want to go back to one, one other thing you said. Um, you talked about, I think content was one of the examples, but of the three different challenges, you know, making the decision, do we do this internally? Do we work with external partners? That's an ongoing topic with a lot of uh, a lot of our, our customers as well. And even specifically around device management. I mean, a lot of these large companies do have, you know, legacy MDMs and do we use that? Do we go outside? So for you all, what has been that process of deciding, do we do, do we solve these challenges internally or, or work with the third party? Yeah. So I think it depends on the nature of the challenge, right? Like if, if it's a pipeline for optimizing models, well, then we may want to own that because we don't want to share our intellectual property with people or, you know, it, it makes sense to store it in our data lake or, you know, whatever that, that may be a process that makes sense to own. But uh, what we realize is particularly in the device management space is that, you know, there's new headsets coming out on a weekly basis and, it's a full-time group that we would have to like hire in order to manage, you know, all of those devices and, and, you know, how, how we securely manage them and, you know, all that stuff. And so what we kind of realize is that this isn't probably something that's going to be a competitive advantage for us to have an internal capability that, that manages a lot of this stuff. And so that's when we start looking at like, okay, what's our traditional MDM solution, which would be like Intune and, you know, um, I think at some point Intune will get to a place where it'll manage VR devices, but like what the nature of VR or XR devices is that they need different things than a traditional phone or, you know, uh, other device that you may traditionally manage through Intune. And so then you have to start considering like, how do you do single sign on 
uh, through like a VR device that looks way different than what it looks like on like a mobile device. Right. And so um, I think that's, that's kind of the way that we've looked at it is, you know, let's look at what we currently have. Does it achieve what we want? Do we think in the next like year it will achieve what we want? If not, then, you know, so like, it's kind of this logic tree of, um, you know, I think the core though is really understanding what you need when you, when you're thinking about device management um, because it's easy to kind of jump into the trope of like, oh, we can just use a standard device management you know, platform. And then you get the standard device management platform and you can't update firmware or you don't know when the last person used it at what time or you know, whatever. And that's really painful from a adoption perspective too, because, you know, if, if you put fire extinguisher training in a plant and everybody's excited because they get to go through VR training, but you know, three days in your, your headset firmware is not aligned. And all of a sudden now you can't run your stuff anymore. Like, you know, you, you effectively stopped all of that momentum uh, that you had beforehand. And so I think what we realized is like in the deployment side of things, we got to grease the skids (laughs) really well because we don't want that to be the reason why this doesn't get adopted. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. It is. I mean, we talk a lot about, you've got you've got one shot at a first impression. And I think mm-hmm. with XR, that's just maybe, you know, as true as ever. Um, okay. You, you, you teed up a great hot take and I might have two quick ones for you. So <laughs> yeah. the first one uh, to be, you, Dane will be speaking on behalf of Dane. Um, yep. <laughs> but you talked about new headsets coming out, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd love to, you know, would love it if you'd share what your favorite is for enterprise. But if you don't want to say your top one, maybe say your top, what's one in your top three. Yeah. Well, so, um, we have a quest pro and I actually really do like the quest pro. I think it's a little bit different in, uh, user group than like what we were kind of hoping, which is an industrial, you know, out on the shop floor type of user. I think it's more centered on like the people who sit at desks, you know, kind of thing, but nonetheless, it's a fantastic headset and all the technology that's gone into that. I'm really excited about. Um, I would say my, like my favorite, <laughs> headset is probably probably the quest 2 just because it's a you know it's it's a solid inexpensive you know device to deploy i say that i i paused for a moment because it's painful to manage right now as you guys may know but i think it'll get better in the future and like if we're speaking just strictly hardware perspective you know for i guess bang for the buck you know the quest 2 really does a fantastic job yeah it's it's hard to beat that uh, okay, last one. You you defined the metaverse as a more immersive internet, which I love that definition. Mm-hmm. So what's your hot take there on metaverse? I mean, love it or hate it? <laughs> love it, hate it. 10 years from now, are we all living in the metaverse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I have a tenuous relationship with the metaverse. Um, I, I, think, I think the overall idea of it, it will change the way that people interact with each other. Uh, but I think that many of the ideas that are talked about right now are 10 years out. Right. And I don't think the average person understands like the amount of data that you have to have, not even like 3d data, but like, you know, just data of how the world works and all these different things pumped in to make things feel realistic and be valuable. Um, And I mean, like, you know, like avatars right now are kind of creepy, right? Just being honest. And so, you know, like there may be some situations if you're going to a Travis Scott concert, it's great to be a tiger, right? But if you're working, at, if you're in a work environment, 
you probably want a, a realistic avatar that actually looks like you. And so I, I, my, my tenuous relationship is I, I think it's exciting for me because there's more people who have heard the term metaverse in the last year. And so it, there's, it lowers the barrier to adoption on a lot of these things because people go, Oh, you know, I, I heard about that. Or, you know, um, you know, my, my kid has an Oculus quest too, you know, like people are, are more familiar with it, but I also think that this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and we have to kind of temper expectations and, you know, my kind of motto is like, let's, let's grow with the technology, you know, like we, we don't need to be pushing for that five year in the future application when there's, you know, fr fruit that's about laying on the ground. It's so, you know, low hanging, right? So we can go and, and pick the low hanging fruit and grow with the technology and then, you know, continue to deliver more and more value over time. And I think that's a, a prudent way to approach it because it, it's really easy to jump in and just say, oh, we're going to invest, you know, $20 million into, you know, the metaverse without having kind of the fundamental concept of like, what does this actually do for our business that's beneficial? Um, so that's, that's my hot take is I love the metaverse. I hate the metaverse. Um, and I, I think it's coming, it'll, it'll be here. And I think it's, it's what people will promise, but I think much like the internet, you know, like, I, I don't know if you guys have seen that, uh, <laughs> there's like a, I don't know if it's New York times. I don't want to like call anybody out in specific, like, like there's a, a like a newspaper article from like the night late eighties. And it's like, the internet's dead, you know, only a few users on the internet, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, look at us yeah. today, you know, but it took us 30, 40 years to get to that point. And I think it'll be faster. I think the nature of everything is that we're heading in an exponential. And so it's much faster than it has been in the past. Um, but I also don't, it's not an overnight thing, right? Yeah, totally. I think expectations and proper expectations are so important. Uh, I will say, I think my favorite quote of this episode is, if you're going to a Travis Scott concert, you might want to be a tiger. So thank <laughs> yeah. you for that. That was beautiful. Hey, I uh, do what I can. <laughs> well, this has been great. Uh, before we before we wrap here, I, you, you host uh, your own podcast, uh, XR at Work. So where could people find you if they want to, to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, probably the best place to find us is LinkedIn. Uh, you can just type in XR at work uh, in LinkedIn, and and it's a production company that a friend of our that a friend of mine and I started. Um, our our focus is really around like enterprise, and it, it's any enterprise, so anywhere from fashion to pharmaceutical to chemical manufacturing to paper manufacturing. And our goal is really just to build relationships with people in the space, but also understand, you know. Uh, where we feel like platforms are are starting to converge and diverge, and um, just get people's you know hot takes on uh, where they think things are going in the future. So yeah, if you guys want to check that out, it's X Artwork on LinkedIn. You can also find it on YouTube, um, and we're working on Spotify. So very um, cool, like, very cool. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on today. It's uh, it's always good to catch up with you guys. It's been great. Look forward to chatting Thanks, again Dan. soon. Man, what a great combo, Will. Something you and I both talk about uh, pretty often is the power that XR has to actually give us our time back. And I think it's just super encouraging when you hear from a company like Invista, like Coke, who's really taking the long view and seeing such uh, real tangible results. I mean, six months down to several weeks uh, is pretty significant. That's wild. Yeah, I think it also speaks to the fact that in XR, for, for the enterprise space at least, companies now are moving to scale that these pilot projects have proven themselves and there's real world applications that are worth spending money on so 
it's exciting, I think, for the whole XR space and specifically for the enterprise space. I think it's a big deal. Um, so if you're interested in hearing more conversations like this, uh, check out our podcast page wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, you can go to our website and check out our podcast page there at arborxr.com backslash podcast. And uh, we have show notes. We've also got resources and links for you to check out. Thanks for listening. Have a great one.